a long introduction for Robert because I don't want to take any more time. Uh, but I could, and so I will, but really quick. <laughs> I wish you were my son. Because it would mean that I did a really, really good job. And because it would be just an honor, as it is an honor, to have you in my family as you're in our family. The maturity, the godliness, the anointing, all over, evident, and through. So welcome, Robert, in Jesus' name. Good morning. Am I on? Can you hear me? Okay, cool. There we go. I'm going to take a drink of water because I haven't had one in a little while. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Um, I'm really excited about the word that I think God has for us today. And the reason I'm excited about it actually is um, I have seen in the last couple of months just how much Satan does not want it preached. He did not want me to believe it. Usually he'll just try to distract you from what God is doing, what he's saying. We, we talked a lot about that last week, right, with the weeds and the parable of the sower. God's trying to get our eyes off of him and onto the things of the world, or Satan's trying to get our eyes off of him and on the things of the world. Um, but this time, he didn't do that. He actually just kind of hit me head on and tried to get me directly to disbelieve the word that I think God has for us today. Um, and while Satan meant evil against me, God meant it for good. Um, once I realized that and started to press into what God was doing, I realized just how important it was. So I'm really glad you're here. I'm really glad to be here with you today. Um, one of the things that uh, people who know me well know about me is that home is really important to me. Uh, I'm from the South, and home and tradition and hospitality are all really big values there, and um, as they are in, in most of the world, right? But I don't know, just something about growing up there really... Uh, implanted those things in me. Um, and growing up, home was just kind of where I wanted to be. I, you know, I just thought, like, why would you want to go anywhere else? It's, it's safe, it's secure, it's comfortable, it's peaceful. This is how life should be, right? And that was in my experience kind of with my immediate family and also my extended family. Our vacations would be to go and visit, you know, our extended family in their home, and we'd just stay with them. You know, we didn't go to Hawaii or to Europe or anything like that. We just went and stayed with family. Um, and we would you know, spend time with them, eat all our meals together. My cousins and I would get into shenanigans together. Um, and it was just like, this, this is how life should be. Um, and I want to show you one of the places that we would go to. So this is uh, my uncle's house in South Carolina. This house was built in 1912 by my great-great-grandfather. So it's been in the family a long time. I've read stories from my great-grandfather as a little boy growing up in that house. It's just amazing, right? And there's a fireplace in every room. And throughout the whole house, there are paintings and pictures of people. My uncle gets this huge tree. It's, you can't really tell. It's, that's about a 10-foot tree um, sitting there you know, in the nook of the staircase there in the main room, and we have Christmas together, have Christmas dinner together, go to Christmas Eve service together. 
And I just have such amazing memories of that. That is what I look forward to for two years, every two years, right? And I still look forward to it. It's just amazing. This is, this is home, right? And part of it's the people. Um, I have a pretty awesome extended family on my dad's side, and it's just, I always love getting to see them, but part of it is the place too, right? It feels a little bit like coming home every time you come there. Even though it's not my home specifically, it's my, it's my uncle's home, but it's been in our family, but it, it feels like coming home. I think we all have this sort of longing in us for home. You know, it's, it's something that we desire. We, we want something of permanence, but also of, of love and peace and safety and security, right? If, if you have experienced this in your life, you know what I'm talking about, right? And it's not just with family. You know, it might be the church family for you. Uh, maybe Lake Sam has been this for you or another church has been this for you in your life. I hope it has been. It has been for me. Coming to church has felt like coming home in a lot of ways. If you haven't experienced this in your life, because I know that some people haven't, I want to tell you a couple things. The first is that I'm really sorry that God hasn't given you that gift yet. I don't know why that is, but I'm, I'm very sorry. And the second thing is that the sermon today is for you. It's for all of us, but it's especially for you. Um, so with that, we're going to have uh, Kurt Jackson pray for the sermon. Kurt's in my threefold, or our trifold, as we call it. I don't know. It just sounds cooler. So, Kirk, would you Check, pray for the check. sermon and lift up another church? Sure thing, man. Um, Lord, I thank you for Robert's heart and, you know, the, in everything he does, you know, in work and life and his friendships, all his relationships, that he's, he's after you. Lord, and I know that in this sermon and in other ones that he's done that, you know, he's, he's after that too. So, in Jesus' name, we pray that, um, you know, Lord, your words speak to us. And that you honor, you know, his his heart to be after you, and and that we see that today. In Jesus' name, and um, I want to lift up also uh, Beijing International Christian Fellowship and the leadership there, and the small groups and the people who reach out into the community with their English corners, and you know, and just uh, reach people who need you, you know, whether it's expat people or um, natives and. You know, just bless that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Kirk. So let me tell you something that I hate. I hate when sermons have, like, five Bs or, like, seven Ps. Like, if you just remember these seven things that all start with the letter P, you'll have a great devotional life, right? And it's, I don't know, it just always felt like sort of canned and corny. Having said that, <laughs> oh, shoot. Having said that, Today we have three H's, okay? So I, just, I promise this was not intentional, but I hope we'll, you know, it'll be a, a helpful touchstone for remembering what the sermon is about. So today we're talking about home, about hope, and about heaven. We've already talked a little bit about home, right? We, we all have this desire in us, this longing in us for something of permanence and security and, and beauty, I think, too. Um, there's something about it that we want to take hold of. We don't just want to see it from afar. We want to be part of it. We want to participate in it. We want to have possession of it almost. We want it to be ours. We want to have it and never have to let go. And this longing is, is deeply ingrained in this. And I think we notice it the most um, at very particular moments, usually right when it fades, I think. We don't realize that we've been a part of it until it fades, and then you realize it's gone. Like, um, 
right at the end of a really good book is you turn the last page and then it's over, or right as the credits roll in a really amazing movie, right when you're saying goodbye to a really close friend or family member that you know you're not going to see for a long time. It's that moment right as the sun is going down, right before it comes below the horizon, right? And it's at that brightest moment where it's most beautiful, and it's gone. And right when it's gone in that moment, we realize we're alone. We're back in that place of restlessness, of disconnectedness, of something is wrong, something is missing. There's something that I need that I don't have right now. I, I had it a minute ago, or at least I thought I did. I was seeing it. Maybe I wasn't part of it, but I thought I was a part of it for a second, and I didn't even realize it until it was gone. We all have that in us, right? And we don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I see so many people, dear friends, who are looking for what to do with that longing, and they don't know what to do. And our solution, generally, is we push it down. We think, I, I don't know how to satisfy this, so I'm just going to ignore it as much as I possibly can. I'm going to distract myself. We find other things to distract ourselves with, right? Things that I can set my gaze on for a while, and I won't have to, I won't have to think about the fact that I'm alone, that I'm disconnected, that there's this thing happening that I am not a part of, and, and for some reason I can't satisfy this longing, right? All sorts of coping mechanisms that we can turn to. Drugs, alcohol, pornography, uh, binge-watching a, uh, a Netflix series for 12 hours in one day so I can live someone else's life because I don't want to look at my own because I, I can't bear to look at this thing that's in me that I don't know how to deal with. And I think this leads us to a kind of despair. There's this despair in us that we don't know what to do with. This feeling of, I can never get there. I've tried a lot of things, but I don't know how to get there, at least not permanently. Maybe I see it, little glimpses here and there, but I don't know how to hold on to it. And this is what Satan really tried to hit me with um, over the last couple of months. Um, I wasn't really sure if I was supposed to share this or not, because I, I, I don't want to I don't want this to be about me in any way, and I want to I want to focus on what God is doing, but I think maybe I'm supposed to. Um, I met someone who I I came to care and respect for very much, came to care for and respect very much, and uh, it was someone who uh, was in many ways what I had been praying for in a partner. And God, in His goodness and wisdom, decided not to bless it. Um, and I, I mean that when I say in his goodness and his wisdom, he decided he not, to, he not to bless it. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I fell into a kind of despair, a kind of feeling of being on the outside, uh, of being alone, obviously, a feeling like there's something that God has that's not for me. And I'm not just talking about relationships. I'm talking about just life in general, the life that God has somehow wasn't for me. And that's what despair tells us. Despair says things are always going to be like this. You're always going to be on the outside. You're always going to be alone. You're not going to get to go home. The good things of God are not for you. That's what despair says. And we've been talking about deception uh, over the last couple of weeks, how we can be deceived. I think despair is a kind of deception because all of those things that I just told you are lies from the enemy. 
All those things that despair tells us are untrue. If you believe in Christ, if you have faith in Christ, those things are not true for you. But we believe them. And I'm going to skip past a couple things that we're not even going to talk about because they're not important. Um, I just realized they weren't important. But what do we do with that despair? What do we do with that? How do we defend against that? Even as Christians, because this happens in the church too. You can have faith and still have despair, believe it or not. That is possible. And I think it comes down to this. For you are all children of light, children of the day. Since we belong to the day, what is put on for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We need hope. Despair is the opposite of hope. And we don't really know what our hope is in. In fact, we don't even really know what hope itself is. Turns out hope is one of what are called the theological virtues, the other two of which are faith and love, right? Faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The things that these three have in common is that they all are directed towards God. They all have God as their object. You can't just have faith. You have to have faith in God. You can't just hope. You have to hope in him. We love him, and because we love him, we can love other people. They all find their meaning in God. And I think we get faith and love pretty well. I think we know what those mean for the most part, if you're, if you're Christian or been a Christian for a little while. But I don't think we understand hope. You know, we use the word hope in every conversation, and we say things like, you know, I hope you get that job. Uh, I, you know, I really do. I, I hope you feel better. I hope things work out for you. It's a nice sentiment, but it's just kind of wishful thinking, right? Does that actually do anything for me? Not really. Um, and, and even deeper than that, I think we use hope as a synonym for faith. We don't really know what it means, and so we just say, yeah, you have to have faith and hope in God. But we don't know what the difference is. And it turns out there's a huge difference. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is, that he has done what he says he has done. I have faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died on the, Chris, on the cross to, to repay my debt, repay the, the debt of my sin, and that God raised him from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of, of the Father. I have faith in that, even though I have never seen him. I have never touched the holes in Jesus' hands, but I believe that is true by faith. And hope says that Jesus is going to return. Hope says that God is going to do the things that he said he's going to do in the future, things that haven't happened yet. And it's possible to have faith without hope. There are people who believe the first things that I was saying about Jesus and about God, but they don't believe that the good things of God are for them. They don't believe that they're going to get to participate in them. And if we turn to Scripture, we see that that is not true at all. If you read the New Testament, you find hope is everywhere. It's almost all they talk about. The only epistles that don't talk about hope are like Jude, Philemon, and 2nd and 3rd John. And that's because they're all like half a page. All the other epistles spend like huge sections talking about hope. First Peter, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We have a hope because there's something coming, coming later that we don't have yet. There's an inheritance that we get to take part in. We are sons and daughters, and the sons and daughters of the king get his inheritance. 
we get to take part in that. Second Corinthians, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. This is the apostles talking about the, the difficult things that they went through, the persecution that they went through. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. They began to think good things can't come anymore. It seems like this is the end. But that was to make us rely on not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Not just that he's going to deliver us right now, or that he's delivered us in the past. He's going to deliver us in the future. Good things are coming in the future. We don't have persecution like this in our lives, do we? We don't have suffering like this in our lives. They had that kind of hope because they had some crazy persecution and suffering that they were going through. They were actually, they actually thought that they were going to die because of the persecution that they were going through. We don't have that on the east side, right? And so we don't have the hope that they had. We just don't. If you look at our society, even in the church, hope is not something that I would say characterizes us very well. We shouldn't go seeking persecution for persecution's sake, obviously, right? What do we have, though? What do we have in common with them? We felt we had received the sentence of death. Do you have something in you that causes death? Do you have something of your fleshly nature, your sin nature, that kills things in your relationships? Between you and God, just you and yourself, between you and other people? We all have that, right? We have things that we can't seem to get rid of. We pray and we fast and we seek God and we try to rely on the Spirit as much as we can and amazing fruit comes of that. But there's still a degree to which it just won't die, right? It keeps coming back. We have that in us. Well, guess what? There's a hope for that. I tell you this, brothers. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. In that moment, that thing that is killing you is going to be gone. It will be destroyed. You won't even have the thought of it anymore. It won't even cross your mind. It'll be like it never existed. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? I want that. I want to put my hope in that. I'm not going to put it in something in the world. That's better. That is far better. That's what I want. And not just that, not just getting rid of the evil things in our lives, but God promises to satisfy that longing that we have. He promises to bring us home. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Would Jesus lie to you? Absolutely not. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you will be also. We get to be with him. And not just with him, we get to come to his house. Just like me and my family getting to go and stay at my uncle's house, we're going to go to the Father's house. Jesus is going to come to the door, answer it, bring us in, Say, here, let me show you to your room. Let me take your bags. Here's the place that I set up for you. Isn't that amazing? Think of who your five closest friends are. 
the five people that you love the most, that you care the most for, the people that you share your, your triumphs and your defeats with. Now picture yourself sitting down to a delicious meal with those five people and Jesus. Getting to eat a meal together, laugh together, have conversation together, and not just have dinner, you're one with them. Just as the Father and the Holy Spirit and Jesus are one. You have oneness with them. No more miscommunication, no more hurting each other with the things that we say and do and the things that we don't say and don't do. You're one, and you never have to say goodbye. You're there together for eternity. That's what I want. I want this longing to be satisfied. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. There are amazing things coming for us. But we're still in the world, right? We're still here. And just because we have a heavenly home waiting for us doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to create good ones here, right? We've, we've seen how actually some of the best glimpses of heaven can happen in earthly homes. That can be an amazing picture of what heaven is like. It's just a glimpse, but it's really good. It's a really good glimpse of what's happening in heaven, of what is to come. And can I just tell you personally, I, I would love to have a place of my own for, you know, my family in the future someday and for people to come over to host and be able to have people come over and relax and just be themselves and enjoy life, enjoy community as it's supposed to be. It's hard to do that on the east side. <laughs> it's really expensive. But I think it's worth doing. I think it's worth working towards. But here's the thing that I can't do. I can't set my hope on that. I can't expect that to satisfy me because it's not going to. I mean, I'm sure all the homeowners in the room know all these different worries and struggles come up when you own a home, right? It's, it's a lot of work. It is worth doing, but it can't satisfy you. And we can't expect God to satisfy all our different desires while we live in this world either, I don't think. There are certain things that he's promised us. He's promised to take care of us no matter what as he takes care of the sparrows in the field. But he hasn't promised me a nice house. He just hasn't. And when we do, when we say, you know, God has promised me this thing that he hasn't promised, I'm going to put my hope in this thing that God has not said he's going to give me, it's called presumption. And it's a perversion of hope. That is not hope. My hope is not set in this world. My hope is set in what is to come. And I know that even if the tent that is my earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's what we have to look forward to, something that's going to last forever. We'll never have to let go of it. You know, we're a little bit like the first Israelites. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the desert, they were sojourners. That, that was not their home. They were traveling around in tents. They didn't have a permanent home. They didn't have a place to call their own. But they went forth because God had called them to. He called them out of their homeland to a new place. I think that's what he's doing with us. Hebrews says that these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They saw glimpses. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they had this restlessness in them. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. If they wanted a home on earth, they could have just stayed home. 
Abraham could have stayed in Ur. He did not need to go to this new land that was going to become the promised land. He could have stayed back. But as it is, he desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is what we have to look forward to. If you're like me, this is all really great and good. It's also really far away. For me, it's literally a lifetime away, right? Like, I, I don't know when I'm going to get to experience this. What do I do now? How do I have hope now in the middle of despair? In the middle of times when it seems like good things are not coming, I don't know if good things are ever going to come. How do I have hope now? And the answer is that he who's prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. This inheritance that, we're, that is coming for us the Spirit is the first piece. The Spirit is the guarantee. Another word for that is the down payment. When you buy a house, you can't just take out a loan. You have to make a down payment. Because if you don't make the down payment, how do they know that you're good for the rest? We know that God is good for the rest because we have the Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us. We have God himself in us. He is the satisfaction of our longing hearts. He is what we're looking for, actually, we're not looking for his stuff. We're looking for him. He's the source of all good things. We don't need his stuff. We don't need him to bring us things. We need him to bring us himself. And he has. He's brought us the spirit. It says again in Ephesians, in him we have obtained an inheritance. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Do you know what it's like to have this in you? To have the Holy Spirit in you? To be, to be reading God's word and have understanding just pour into you like a waterfall. Faster than you can comprehend with your mind. And all of a sudden you just understand it. And it's just, it's like a light came down on the page. Or all of a sudden he pours in ideas into your mind and your heart about how to bless people that you never would have thought of before. You see him moving through you to touch people in ways that you could never have done. You see him giving you joy in moments where you should not have joy, <laughs> in moments of incredible suffering, and then all of a sudden this well of living water bubbles up, right? It comes up, and, and, and it seems like nothing can push it down. Somehow I have joy in the midst of incredible suffering. That's what God has given us. That's the guarantee. That's the down payment. That's how we know we're going to get our hope, because we have the Spirit. If you don't have it, if you don't have the Spirit, if you've never received that, oh, you need to get it. You need to get it. It's important. It is impossible to have hope without the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, despair will seep in. Despair will take over. You need the Spirit. And I don't think that, I think I'm, most people who have accepted Christ have, have also received the Holy Spirit, but there's a way in which we can quench it. We can push it down. First Thessalonians says, do not quench the Spirit. It's something that the, the thought occurs to us, right? We have that desire, we have that prompting to do something, and we think, I can just push that down, right? I don't need, I don't need that today. Or it's, it's going to make me do something uncomfortable today, so I'm not going to do that. I'm going to push that down. Or we have sin in our lives, uh, unconfessed, unrepented sin. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how sexual sin is, in a way, worse than other sins because it's a sin against our own bodies, our bodies which are supposed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why it matters. And not just sexual sin, but, but any sin 
which is blatantly there against God. Anything that we are not willing to confess, we're not willing to repent of. Anything where we've seeded defeat. Despair has come in and we've said, you know, I've tried a long time to win this battle. It might just be better if I stop focusing on that and allocate resources elsewhere, right? Let's just concede defeat over here and stop trying to win this battle and we'll go over here and win this one at least. That'll be better use of time. Don't give in to despair. That's despair talking. That's a lie. The Holy Spirit can conquer that if we let him. Do whatever you have to do. Confess it. God's word says that if we confess to one another, he will heal us of all unrighteousness. It's an amazing thing that he does in us. Do whatever you have to do to get it out. Whatever it takes. Tell him, I am willing to pay the cost of that in order to get your spirit instead. I need your spirit. Like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, we are journeying through the desert. We are sojourners. We are trying to get home, trying to get to the promised land. But we're not doing this on our own. Together, we are a camp. Just like the Israelites had a camp, we are the camp, wandering in the desert, trying to make it back home, trying to make it to the heavenly city. And we follow the Holy Spirit wherever he leads. We follow the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. That's what we're looking to. And we also look to Jesus. Jesus, who suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us also go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. We have a responsibility, not just to move the camp forward to where it's supposed to go, but also to go outside and to bring people in. To share the hope that we have with people outside the camp. To share the faith and the love that we have with them. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. People use that verse to talk about apologetics. I think it, it is partially that, but it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the reason for the hope that I have. That's what's welling up inside of me. If you have that, you can share that hope with others. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another. All friendships, all loves, all play, all politics, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play. But our merriment must be of the kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from, who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. And our charity must be a real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins in spite of which we love the sinner. That's the burden that we have for one another inside the camp and outside. To, get, to share our hope with one another, to encourage one another, to lift each other up, to bring the Holy Spirit to others, to let him work through us. 
That's our responsibility. That's our hope. I want to finish by telling you about a friend of mine. This is Chris Mitchell. Chris was a professor at Biola University where I went to school. Um, he actually just came there my senior year. He'd been at Wheaton a long time before that. And uh, he was my mentor in a program that I was in there. And uh, the last day that I saw him was my graduation day in May 2014. He passed away uh, the following July. He had an undetected heart condition, had a heart attack, and was gone. He was only 62. I have never met anyone more like Jesus than Chris. Never. Never met anyone more kind, more loving, more caring, more concerned with the things of heaven, with more hope than Chris. He talked about heaven all the time. He, he loved earth. He loved the good things of earth. But it seemed like he just could not wait to get to heaven. And I'll, I'll never forget at his memorial service, just dozens of people came up to talk about who he was. And some people had only met him once. And they just knew that God loved them because of a conversation that they had with Chris. It was, it's amazing. And his older brother was the last person to speak. And he got up and stood in front of the room. And he looked out on us with a grin and said, I can't believe the son of a gun beat me. That is the, the hope that we have. That is the heaven that we are looking forward to, of which we have the first piece right now. And I want to share with you uh, a few words from Chris from a talk that he gave uh, my last year at Biola, uh, the year before his death. I have a friend, Jim Harrell. I missed him a lot this past weekend. I was back in Wheaton for my son's birthday. I'm mean, birthday. Wedding, goodness. <laughs> I'm getting tired. And Jim was my buddy there. He died three years ago. He had Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. Normally you die within one or two years. He died. It took about six or seven. Great at the front end, really hard at the end because he couldn't move. But the longer this disease progressed, the more he became heavenly minded in a really, really good way. And one night we were talking about heaven. He was constantly prodding me with questions and pushing me and developing my thinking on heaven. And all of a sudden, boom, it came into my mind. I said, Jim, write this name down, Jerry Harden. He says, why? I says, because he's in heaven. I want you to meet him. He says, I can't take a piece of paper with me. I said, well, Jim, I mean, that's not the point. The point is, if you don't write it down, you're going to forget. I said, I'm serious. He says, I can't believe you're telling me this. I said, Jim, listen, unless I get hit by a truck or something, I mean, the chances are you're going to get there before me, right? And he says, yeah. And you really believe me that my buddy Jerry Harden from back in Oregon, who died 15 years ago, is there, right? Yeah. So if you're both there, it stands to reason you should be able to meet, right? He goes, I never thought of it that way. I said, good, write this name down because I have a message for him. I said, I don't know what Jerry knows or doesn't know up there, but he knows me and he knows I'm the only one cheeky enough to do this. What I want you to do is I want you to find this guy. And I want you to go up to him and I say, hey, Jim, my name is Jerry. My name is Jim Harrell. And we have a mutual friend, Chris Mitchell. And he has a message for you. He wants me to tell you that he loves you and he misses you. Can't wait to see you. He wants you to know that Carol, that's his wife, is doing really well. 
and Natalie and Brian are doing well, and you're a grandpa. I don't know if he knows that. It doesn't matter, you see. Now, the story goes on. Jim reads this book called Heaven from Randy Alcorn. Randy's an old friend from back in Oregon. So I connect, okay, Jim with Randy. Now, when he's reading Randy's book, Jerry Harden is in this book on heaven, okay? Now, I've already told him I want him to meet him in heaven and give him this message. So he, he emails Randy, goes, wow, Jerry Harden, Chris, Chris has talked about him. I got a message for him. Randy writes back, really, would you give me a, give this message to him too for me? <laughs> then Carol, his wife, finds out about it. Carol writes to Jim, would you please tell Jerry this? This guy had three messages to give to Jerry. <laughs> if that's not true, then let's just pack our bags and go home. I'm not just pretending. Jerry is really there, and my friend Jim is really there. And I'm one day going to see them again. Do you see how real that was to him? He's there now. The last time that I saw him, we said we were going to meet up and talk about, talk about the Bible again together when I got back down to California. I intend to take him up on his offer when I get there. Maybe a while, but that is what we have to look forward to. That is more real than anything on this earth. Our hope is sure. Our hope is real. Put on the helmet of the hope of salvation. Defend against despair. Don't let the lives of despair win. Fight back and then share that hope with others. Get the spirit in you if you don't have it and then share it. God, we thank you that you have let us be a part of your inheritance. You have brought us into your family. You have adopted us. And we get to inherit all the good things that you are. We get you. And until then, you've given us your spirit. Until then, you have given us a down payment. I pray that we would not squander it. Lord, let us bring it to good use. Fill us with the spirit if we don't have it. And may your kingdom come. May your hope be brought forth. In Jesus' name, amen.